The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor and I'm a father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a CPA and I'm a mom of three girls. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm currently experiencing too much togetherness for Thanksgiving. <laughs> 
No, you're obviously not talking about the togetherness on Zoom that is part of this podcast recording, right? No, this is this is a release. This is good. Okay. Okay. Good to hear. Good to hear. I am the only one of the three of us. We're recording this the night before Thanksgiving. It's probably not going to come out until the day after Thanksgiving, but uh, I am the only one of the three of us who is not taking part in a Thanksgiving road race tomorrow. And And I dare say, I dare say that if anybody who listens to the podcast, if you were to say, which one of the three is not going to be taking part in a road race, most people would probably say Eric. But it is George who is not because Eric is running a 10K and Michelle is running a half marathon. <laughs> so, Eric, tell Are us about this 10K that? you're running, dude. Yeah, th- this was so usually we run uh, the Ridgewood Turkey Trot. And we do that because the Ridgewood Turkey Trot is sort of a tradition for us. And that's down by a friend of the podcast, Lee Ragsdale's house. In fact, each time I run it, I get to run by his family standing on the side of the road with his dog and they wave. And it's kind of nice to see Leah because we went to college with her. That's Lee's wife and his kids. Um, But, but uh, Ridgewood decided to not do the 8K turkey trot they usually do because they could not get the venue. It's a post COVID issue, I'm sure. So they moved it to the Centennial campus of NC State and they turned it into a 5K. And you know what? It's just not worth it to drive all the way down there and to deal with Mm -hmm. that mess for a 5K. So instead, uh, Melissa got on the computer and she found the skinny turkey run, (laughs) which is is funny in itself, just the name skinny turkey run. And that's north of our home here. In fact, it's it's actually about, I don't know, 10 minutes closer than the Ridgewood Turkey Trot, and it's uh, it has a 5K, a 10K, and a half marathon. So Melissa and Grace are signed up for the marathon. I'm signed up for the 10K, and we're going to see how it goes. Half marathon, half marathon. Half marathon, yes, half marathon. Okay. I'm sorry. I was going to so say, they just ran a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, when was the last time you ran a 10K, raced, raced a 10K, Eric? You know, I earlier I messaged you and said the last road race I did was 2019. Mm-hmm. no yes 2019 it was december of 2019 the last 10k i ran i dare say i want to say that was sometime in the early 2000s <laughs> and it was the peach tree yeah i would uh, like to just state for the record that i feel like eric is going to be absolutely wrecked on friday after he races a 10k tomorrow like i think the messages about how sore he is are just going to be amazing so all right yes we'll Um, see i i i almost i i dare not say this because i don't want to get too much in your head eric 10ks are hard i think we we forget how hard they are i mean it's 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 a long way to run at a pretty high intensity so i do remember when i set my pr in the 10k and this was eons ago eons ago and that day, I don't remember probably the first three hours after the race. And then <laughs> I was working out of town. So I, I went and I got in the car and I drove out to my apartment and my roommates never thought I returned uh, because I didn't come out of my room for two days. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is not an exaggeration nice. finally work called on monday and said uh hey we we're wondering where you are <laughs> and this was before the time of cell phones so that was like on an answering machine yeah 
Awesome. Had some uh, delayed good. onset muscle soreness there. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I am looking forward to hearing about it. And then Michelle, what are you doing? Um, we, we, should, we should pressured. say Thanksgiving is actually the most popular road racing day in the United States. I believe so, it. So more, more people run road races on Thanksgiving day than any other single day of the year in the United States. And so, so the two of you are taking part in an age old American tradition here. So, so what are you doing, Michelle? I'm sorry, I interrupted. No problem. Um, succumb to peer pressure, paid a <laughs> nice premium to register for, uh, the Thanksgiving day half marathon that the Atlanta track club puts on every year. Mm-hmm. So it's a cool, this race, is the right? first half marathon I ever ran. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school. It was back when, you know, you started at the Shambly Marta station and just mm-hmm. ran Peachtree kind of all the way downtown. So, yeah. uh, courses changed several times. I can't say I've ever really figured out how to run it. Um, but yeah, now that I've seen the amount, now I, delivered the food that I cooked for tomorrow to my mom's. I've seen all the other food that she cooked. I'm actually pretty happy to have a number and um, be accountable to line up tomorrow morning and run for two hours or something before this meal. So awesome. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I'm looking forward to hearing how it goes. That uh, was the first half marathon I ever ran. The Atlanta? The Atlanta half marathon. I remember the shirt. You have a t-shirt with the eagle? It was the long sleeve, dark gray t-shirt with totally. not an eagle. It was a phoenix. Okay. Yeah. You're right. It's, Sorry. It's the phoenix, you know, it's yeah. the Atlanta phoenix coming right, up right. from the ashes, you know, yeah. it was all like orange. It was all Thanksgiving colors, like dark orange, red, yellow. Um, and is it, I, is it a burgundy shirt? No, it was a dark gray shirt. Okay. They would change the color every year, but that yeah. phoenix was, I mean, when I was a kid and I would see people wearing that, like at Columns Drive or the river, they were, I couldn't even imagine. I was like, I like idolized them. <laughs> but the thing about that race was the, the year we ran it, Melissa and I ran it together. And at, at the Marta station there, I guess there's a bridge and the start corral was on the bridge and the wind was like, I don't know, 15 miles an hour. And it was 32 degrees or 28 degrees or something insane. <laughs> And we were all huddled. It was us and our 60 friends that we had never met before, all huddled <laughs> behind the corner of this truck, trying to get out of the wind. And that didn't change until like mile eight. It was <laughs> the coldest race I have ever run in my life. I, 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 I remember that distinctly. And then yeah. the wind just channels up Peachtree into your face. It's, yeah. I was like running in front of Melissa just so she didn't get blown off the road. It was but we deserved Thanksgiving dinner. I'll tell you, we yeah. deserved yeah, you Thanksgiving did. Absolutely. Dinner. Yeah, so, so it's the, the story of marathons and half marathons, the short history of them here in Atlanta is that the Atlanta Track Club used to have the Atlanta Marathon and Half Marathon on Thanksgiving. And they always had a, literally about five times as many people run the half marathon as run the marathon. And the half marathon was a point-to-point course. The marathon, you literally ran to the start of the half marathon and then ran the marathon course. Um, or the half marathon course. Um, and then about 15 years ago, Publix um, and a different race company started doing a spring marathon and half marathon, the Publix Georgia half marathon and marathon. Um, and it was it was a little bit more popular, such that the Atlanta Track Club then decided to get rid of their Thanksgiving marathon just because it wasn't really a moneymaker. And there was frankly a better competitor race in the spring. And then about five years ago, 
the Atlanta Track Club ended up buying that Publix race. And so now we have the Thanksgiving half marathon and we have the spring marathon and half marathon, um, all of which are owned and managed and administered by the Atlanta Track Club. So um, I kind of like where we are right now as far as that goes. I think it's cool. Um, I think it's a nice suite of races that we have. Um, and, and they're all good courses and they're all very Atlanta. Um, I just signed up. And the only reason why I mention all that is because I just signed up for the spring half marathon, um, which will be February 27th, which I look forward to. That'll be good it's as I get ready for my spring marathon. So they uh, kept it in February. So they did. So they, they, they had moved it back two weeks. You remember for the, so, so for the, so it would be on the same weekend as the Olympic marathon trials in 2020. And they just kept it moved back. So, so rather than being on St. Patrick's day, um, and having everybody wear green and shamrocks and all that sort of thing, like they had done for several years, <laughs> now they're just keeping it right around the leap year. So we'll see if they move it back or not. I don't know. Cool. I don't know. Um, so preview of uh, future guests that's coming on in a few weeks. Uh, we're bringing on a friend of mine and he actually took part in every Atlanta marathon on Thanksgiving day since 1980, um, until, the Atlanta track club quietly got rid of it about 10 years ago. Cool. And in the year that they basically didn't have it, but really didn't tell people he ended up, I think he, he still did it. And hmm. so interesting, but yeah, I remember when the track club brought in the Halloween race, they did two years of a marathon on Halloween weekend. And I think Tracy Russell was the executive director at the time. And her idea was to, you know, make it, like world marathon major fall type of big event come to Atlanta. And I think they very quickly realized that nobody's coming to Atlanta in October when they can go to New York or Chicago and run fast (laughs) or run in New York city. Um, So yeah, we pretty much just have Publix, um, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. in March every year. So, and it's a good race. I mean, yeah, it's a good, it's a good race. It's hilly and it's hard, but guess what? So is Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta is a hilly place. Um, and so, so, you know, you, you're not going to run, you, you know, when you go to San Francisco and you run the San Francisco marathon, it's going to be a hilly marathon. You just know that, um, it's the same thing in Atlanta. I feel like you you just know that that's what you're in for if you come here to do a marathon. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to hear how y'all's races go. I'm excited to hear how Grace's, uh, half marathon goes. I'm excited to hear how Eric's 10 K goes, Eric, we should ask, uh, too, just because we talk about this every week and I can't believe we've actually gotten this far into the podcast without mentioning it. What shoes are you going to wear for your half marathon? Well, that's funny for, that for you your 10 K for your 10 K well, for my 10 K. Um, you already know the answer to this question. I'm going to wear my Skechers speed elite hypers all right because it's only a ratio if it's got four names <laughs> that's true so michelle what are you gonna wear for your half marathon i actually have no idea <laughs> see and it's, and it's actually a good indication the fact that eric is going to be wearing plated shoes shows you that he's going to be going after it during this uh during this 10k if michelle if you were to say i'm going to wear you know brooks ghost or something like that we'd be like okay well michelle's clearly not taking it all that seriously um, um, but if michelle's like i'm wearing my endorphin pros you'd be like oh snap michelle's looking i don't think out. i'm ever wearing those again but that's another <laughs> michelle's wearing her endorphin pros she's walking yeah that that is basically what happened last time i wore them um I'm thinking about just wearing the Pumas, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. my only hesitation is just the amount of mileage they have on them, but what's another 13 miles? I don't know. Speaking hey. of Pumas, there was a weird Instagram today. 
Oh, we're going to talk about that. Let's go ahead and talk about that, Michelle, because Michelle, you're the one that pointed us to us. And and why don't you why don't you just kind of describe this Instagram, which I realize it's a little bit weird for us to describe an Instagram on a podcast, given that Instagrams are by their very nature visual. Um, yeah. But yeah, take um, us through it. So Molly Seidel had talked about being part of her first kind of major uh, brand photo shoot, and she had kind of given sneak peeks to some of the Puma stuff, but also, and I don't, sorry, I don't know dogs. I'm sure you guys can fill this in, but a huge part of this photo shoot was getting this huge collection of puppies. So we saw like little tidbits of that. So today there was, you know, a very uh, calculated release where she released Puma's new road racing shoe, which is coming out next year, which who knows when next year is literally tomorrow, basically it's in a month from now. And the whole time she talked about the shoe, she opened the box and the camera kind of slowly panned away so that you hear her talk about the shoe. It looks like she's holding the shoe and rotating the shoe, but the camera is just basically um, focused on the puppies. Mm -hmm. And then she puts the shoe back in the box and it comes back to her. So Puma was like revealing that they have, an even better, you know, super shoe than the super shoe that they currently have or the carbon plated shoe that they currently have. They don't really call it a super shoe, Um, but we didn't get to see any of it. (laughs) So we just found out that there's another shoe coming. It's coming next year. I'm sure we'll see Molly racing in it, but it was just a little weird. I mean, I remember I, I sent it to you and I, I, because I'm just too analytical, my first reaction was, was this on purpose? Like, is this supposed to be like this? Um, and you were like, yes. <laughs> so I don't know. It was a little so, weird. So, it weird. It was just weird. No, it was, it, it, it was strange. It's strange that they simultaneously release and don't release a shoe. Um, and, and that they, it's, it's very much a tease and a teaser. Um, the sure. reel that they put on Instagram was, um, you know, what I told you afterwards is that I'm just happy to see that they're continuing to make running shoes. Like, because as everybody who listens to this podcast knows, I'm like a convert to the Deviate Nitros. I love those shoes. I, I credit the fact that I've been able to run a lot over the course of this year to those shoes, keeping my feet and my Achilles specifically a little bit healthier. But I've been worried that Puma's going to be like, well, that was a fun little foray into running shoes, but it wasn't profitable. So let's go back to making soccer cleats and well, I'm going to lose out and not get shoes anymore. So, so I'm glad that, that they are at least committing for another short while here to to continue making shoes i'm i'm kind of surprised that you even have the hesitation because the amount of money that they're putting into road racing and track and field athletes in general training Mm, groups i agree i agree um i was you know i was never hesitant about whether they were going to continue but the name of the shoe is the fast and then it was like hyphen r so i guess faster but Mm. we don't even have every time they release the deviate nitro elite which is right. the current carbon plated shoe that molly races marathons in right. which i haven't been able can't to get, get it on. like yeah we we i mean we've tried a bunch of times and it's just never it's always immediately gone so right. like can we have the first shoe first can we have access <laughs> to what's already been out available for the last year before we bring out another one and then you know, make us lust after two carbon plated Puma road <laughs> racing shoes. Cause that right. feels like that's about to happen. Uh, yeah. I, that, that will definitely happen for me, at least, you know, if they, if they release an additional carbon plated shoe, I'll want both the one that I don't currently have and the one that I won't have in the future. 
uh, for sure. Um, so real quick, um, friend of the podcast, Lee Ragsdale has a pair of those shoes. He does have a pair. And really? second, mm-hmm. is it going to be the Puma Deviate Nitro Faster Elite? Because that would be five <laughs> names. And I, I, I'm thinking that must be a really awesome race shoe. Because it, it has must five be. names. It must, it be. must be. Yeah. She I, said I, it's called Just Be Faster. Capital F, capital A, capital S, capital T, hyphen, capital R. So, okay. well, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to poop on this parade. As, as George said, that Instagram is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't know how, if it was a bunch of Pumas running around in the room, yeah, turn the camera to the Pumas and don't show the shoe, but it's a bunch of puppies. They have nothing to do with the brand. It's a total tease on the shoe that might not even exist. And who names a shoe the faster? Also, it's faster. so confusing because Puma's a cat. Like, why do we have dogs in this Instagram? This is just... I, just I Personally, I'm okay with Molly Seidel not sitting in a room of Pumas. Like the actual animal Pumas. I'm, <laughs> I, I feel far more comfortable about the darling of American distance running sitting in the room with a bunch of puppies rather than a bunch of Pumas. That's I fair. Mean, you, I mean, even, even it might be slightly less on brand, but I feel like it's far safer. <laughs> uh. I'm, uh, I'm not impressed with this tease. I'm not a fan of the tease. So. All right, fair. I'm, I'm not totally a fan of the tease either, but like I said, at least it gives me confidence that maybe there's no as michelle says there's no reason why i shouldn't have confidence but it does give me confidence that 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 my favorite shoes and my favorite shoes of the last several years are, are, are not going away um speaking of of instagram i wanted to mention one other thing that kind of popped up on instagram so i recently started following a guy on instagram called lab rat rundown um and it's a guy who's a professor at stephen f austin university named dustin joubert Um, He has a PhD in exercise physiology, and he does a whole bunch of his own um, efficiency tests on shoes. And so I've complained on this podcast before, or I've, or I've pined on this uh, podcast before about how I wish that we had lab testing of all of these super shoes that, you know, we have obviously the original Vaporfly 4% lab testing, but we don't have that sort of rigorous lab testing on all of these other shoes, except for this guy, Dustin Joubert, who's kind of doing it on his own and posting all of his results on uh, Instagram under the handle lab rat rundown um, on, on Instagram. Um, and it's kind of cool. Um, and, and so he's gone through and he's, he basically has this protocol and he shares all this stuff on, on Instagram. Um, and he uses himself as the lab rat. And so it's an N of one, obviously. Um, but he says, okay, based on my own personal um, running mechanics and my, my own gate, this is what I find the best shoes that work for me are. And this is how all these various other shoes compare, um, in boosting my efficiency. And it's, so it's just, it's just interesting to see somebody doing something with that. Um, and I bring it up because not only do I think that everybody should be following it just because it's interesting and, and it's worth looking at, but because he, this week posted something that I thought was particularly interesting and touched off a conversation between the three of us via text. He mentioned a recent publication um, by Whiting, Hookhammer, and Cram uh, called Metabolic Costs of Level Uphill and Downhill Running in Highly Cushioned Shoes with Carbon Fiber Plates. Um, And it was a scientific study where they took Vaporfly 4% 
um, just original ones that they had collected all the data with pre-COVID. Um, and they showed that if you used a Vaporfly 4% on a 5% incline, you still got an efficiency boost, but it was less. Rather than getting the 4% efficiency boost that you got on the flats for which the shoe was named, you actually got about a 3% boost. And so that's pretty good, but still not as good. Um, and it was the same with a 5% decline. Um, they, they tested it with about 16 different runners and they're all trained runners. They're runners who had run in vapor flies before. Um, and so he then decided, Lab Rat Rundown, decided that he would compare his alpha flies to a pair of Vaporfly Next Percents. And he's compared them before on the flats and he's found that the alpha flies work better for him and they make him more efficient. But he said, what if I actually were to compare them on a 5% incline and a 5% decline? And what he found was that going up a 5% incline and going down a 5% decline, the Vaporfly Next Percents actually made him more efficient than the alpha flies did. The alpha flies work better for him and make him more efficient on the flats, but the Vaporfly Next Percents work better for him going up hills and downhills. So if you're racing the Thanksgiving Day half marathon on the Atlanta Hills tomorrow and you have the choice of the Next Percent or the Alpha Fly, you should take the Next Percent? At least if you're him. <laughs> So for his particular mechanics and the way that his particular mechanics change when he's going up and down hills versus how he runs on flats, it would be a better choice for him to actually choose the next percents rather than choose the alpha fly. But if he was running a flat half marathon, he would be choose... better off running in the vapor or the, the, the alpha, alpha flies. Um, Is it possible that these shoes have just come so far since I guess the trials in 2016 that it's not just one pair for everything. Well, that, and that, and that's the, the maddening thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and that's ultimately the takeaway from it. And that's the thing that kind of drives me insane is that, that you kind of feel like, oh, okay, I found the pair of super shoes that works best for me. The Alpha Fly, the Vapor Fly, the RC Elite, the Endorphin Pro, the, the Meta Sky, you know, the, the Meta Sky Speed, whatever works best for you. You kind of feel like you found it but then as it turns out, that might actually be the best one that only works for you on the flat. And that if you're actually on a hilly course, if you're going up and down hills, that might not actually be the fastest shoe for you. The fastest shoe is not always going to be the fastest shoe. It's only going to be the fastest shoe on the flats or on the uphills and downhills. That's, that's maddening to me. <laughs> but it was also an excuse to buy more shoes. So, yeah. I was going to say, that's what this sounds like. This is leading up to <laughs> Eric. What do you think? This guy is amazing. The, the con, like I am not an Instagrammer at all because I don't, he's the, like he's the only reason why I go on Instagram. Seriously. So Instagram, I just have an issue with a lot of social media and the, the trash you can pick up. You know, like I'm not a trash man. I don't like picking up trash. So there's a lot of trash on social media. Unfortunately, I have some friends that keep posting that trash to our group chat, George, <laughs> like TikToks. This guy's content is phenomenal. He has the VO2 and caloric expenditure data over like eight shoes. Mm -hmm. And he and he, he actually does it. He says like, yeah, I, I brought 12 runners in. I did it twice with each shoe over varying this, that, and the other. And he, he, the data is, it's all condensed and, you know, right there for you. Uh, and I, I think it's also funny and worthy of note that he, his, uh, his little brief 
you know, snippet under his name and an Instagram is stroller jogger dad. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and running researcher. I so I'm I'm into this, George. I'm glad you pointed this out. There's a lot of cool content in here. Um, yeah, I I think it's cool. And then okay, so back to your question. So that's just about about the guy, about the the comment. I personally, when I first started running in plated shoes, felt this. Mm-hmm. I, and and I, I posed a question and maybe I think there was a little miscommunication between George and I, but I posed a question in our chat about or a comment about I felt like going uphill. The, the endorphin, it was just the speeds at the time. It was just the plated shoe. The endorphin speed seemed to give me this crazy boost. It was, it was almost more... Uh, uh, it was always more than running on the flats. Mm-hmm. And I posed that and then I kind of forgot about it over time. You know, it's like whatever, but he is actually making a, a, a research-based assessment that that could be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, one shoe versus another could be better for uphills and or downhills. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm believer in running mechanics change from person to person. Sure, That's sure. why some of us are heel strikers and some of us are midfoot strikers and some of us are toe strikers. That's why the Atreus and their strike here, Mark bothers so George so much, right? <laughs> because everybody's mechanics are different and you can just take six runners, look at the bottoms of their shoes and you can tell that their mechanics are different. So it makes complete sense that at speed, different shoes are going to have different amounts of benefit or possibly uh, a, a detracting effect to a runner mm-hmm. so and then you then you go is it the plate is it the foam is it the combination between the plate and the foam is it the rocker you know what what is it and what special sauce makes one runner go really fast mm-hmm. and the the best the best example of this the meta speed uh line that um that a6 came out with they came out with two shoes mm-hmm. and most people don't even know that. <laughs> and those two shoes were built around two different types of runners, right. the stride length runner and the, the turnover runner. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a great indication that the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, research going on. There's a lot of data out there showing that not everybody runs the same. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and the, the, some people will get better than a 4% boost from a Vaporfly 4% and some people will get less than that. Yes. Um, and, and, and your mechanics and literally learning to run in a way that, that the shoes will help you more um, is, is actually a thing. I, it's, it's, it's interesting to me too. And it's kind of getting in my head a little bit as well. So I, I got a pair of RC elites and I wore them in a 5k last weekend, as we talked about on the last podcast and they felt brilliant going uphill and they felt kind of meh otherwise, but this was like a really, a really hilly 5k that I ran on. And, and I felt like I was flying up the hills. And so it's entirely possible that the RC elites are not a great pair of shoes for me on the flats, but they're a really good pair of shoes for me going uphill. Um, and, and that's not something I would have considered before seeing this research that, that uh, Stephen Joubert lab rat rundown shared on Instagram. So, um, yeah. And like I said, it's, it's a little bit maddening <laughs> to think that there, there's actually different fastest shoes as opposed to just your fastest shoes, but especially when they're $250 a pair. 
Yeah, no kidding. No <laughs> kidding. Um, all right. um, before you before you leave this guy, I, I want to say, and he has the right attitude mm-hmm. because he, at least for I think you and I and 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 possibly Michelle, he approaches it from a humorous point of view. Um, one of his posts is he asked he put out a poll to say what shoes should we test next, and the Crocs overwhelmingly uh, took the. <laughs> so he definitely approaches this from a, a point of humor and i think that's a great a great way to grab a good portion of our crowd so and he did uh, and he did an efficiency test with crocs versus alpha flies um, and uh and uh you might be unsurprised to learn the crocs actually performed worse than his control shoes which is a pair of asics uh non-plated racing shoes so <laughs> Um, <laughs> not a big surprise there in their outcome, but he, he took them through the same controls he normally does. Um, all right, let's retcon a little bit. Uh, we talked a lot about the New York city marathon last week, which I'm glad we did, but we left out an important note. Um, Michelle, tell us what it was we left out. Sure. So many people, I'm not even sure knew until maybe he was in the race or the race had started or he crossed the finish line. It was but after we Tommy- recorded our preview. Definitely after we recorded. Yeah, we didn't know it hadn't. Uh, Tommy Rivers Pusey, who is, you know, an elite, uh, very well accomplished road racer, ultra marathoner. I mean, he's been top 20 at Boston. He's represented the U.S. Uh, on some ultra national teams, but just has a really big social media following and um, married three kids and just, you know, an amazing human being. Um, so last year they put him in the hospital last summer, July, 2020, um, thought he had COVID and they basically found out right after then he was almost immediately diagnosed, uh, with like a rare and aggressive form of lymphoma. And I mean, I remember when they, when he went into the hospital, he was, nobody thought he was going to even survive the night. Like I, they needed a transfer from Flagstaff. They needed a ventilator. They couldn't get one. I mean, I didn't have one social media feed that wasn't filled with, does anyone know anyone, you know, we need an ICU bed, we need a vent. And they're, they're just, Flagstaff is a small town and COVID was raging. Um, then he was transferred and he pretty much started chemotherapy right away. We didn't hear or see much. I don't even think at the time his wife uh, was allowed in to be with him, um, was put in a coma, basically woke up. I think he had lost about 75 pounds Um, and then he had to deal with like a bone marrow transplant, went to rehab and he basically had to just learn how to redo. He had to relearn how to do everything. Like he couldn't even swallow. He couldn't use his hands, all the just general occupational therapy stuff that I think we, we take advantage of. What? Couldn't walk. Yeah. I couldn't even walk. Um, so from July until November, 2020, he didn't go home. He was in the hospital. He was in rehab. And then I remember there was a post early this early spring, probably April. Um, he posted himself walking. He had walked two miles with a walker, uh, stopping every five minutes to rest. So you're talking about a guy who, you know, is a sub 220 marathoner and one of the best 50K runners in America. And um, but basically he went back to Flagstaff and I guess he just progressed to walking, uh, like up to six or seven hours at altitude. And 
it's like we found out we knew this was all going on and then all of a sudden New York City Marathon is happening and it's dark there and the internet is blowing up with uh, Tommy crossing the finish line in nine hours and 16 minutes. So I think all along the way, you know, the doctors, uh, first of all, he wasn't supposed to live, you know, then he was, if he did live, he wasn't gonna, you know, be able to take care of himself and he'd need oxygen forever. And I think it got to a point where every single time they gave them a bad prognosis, they, they just stopped because every time they said he wasn't going to do something, he did it plus some. So I think it's just kind of one of those stories of, uh, I mean, you have to think that, and we don't have to think we know, I mean, his will to live was stronger than, I mean, a lot of what I've seen, I would say for people in terminal situations and it's like, nobody would let him, you know, not, uh, nobody would let him doubt for a moment that he should do anything at any point in time besides fight and live to raise his kids and just kind of get back out there. So, um, he didn't look, you know, he looked super depleted crossing that finish line in mm-hmm. nine hours, but generally speaking, the other media that I've seen of him, like he looks pretty good. I mean, it's stunning. It's shocking. It was of all the stuff that happened that day. Yeah. I don't know why we, we, we were remiss in not talking about it. Cause I think everybody was, Oh my gosh, did you see that, you know, Tommy is at New York city. And, um, so it was a pretty amazing story. He said it was the hardest race he'd ever done. Yeah. Like hardest athletic achievement of his life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm not sure has he posted anything since I, I haven't seen, I don't know. So, uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see, but congrats to him. Um, and ultimately in the event that he makes it back, this will undoubtedly be a major uh, step along the way here. So um, congrats to him for, for, for sure. And, and like you said, we were definitely remiss and I'm not sure how we actually, we actually had it on our notes to, to talk about him. And then we just forgot to talk about him when we got so caught up in talking about Ben True and Molly Seidel and everybody else last week at the New York city marathon. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, congrats to him. Congrats to him. Great job, um, Ritz. I mean, I don't like, I think we're going to, you know, hopefully he recovers. Okay. And just keeps going. Right on. Right on. Very good. Very good. All right. Let's talk about a couple of other kind of quick things or not so quick things that have happened here over the course of last week. Um, Let's talk about two things, two more things. One is that the NCAA cross country championships were last weekend. And we definitely want to talk about those for one thing the hometown team of Eric Hall won the women's championship. And for another thing, the ACC really showed out. And as an alumnus of the ACC, uh, that's something that I appreciate. Um, but since we probably have a little bit more to talk about with the NCAA cross country meet, let's actually mention that the, uh, the men's half marathon world record was broken this past weekend. Um, so Michelle, why don't you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, Uganda's Jacob Kiplimo broke the half marathon world record in Lisbon this past weekend by one second. <laughs> um, he said when I was reading uh, with a kilometer left, he, he knew he had had it, but then when he saw the finish line, he realized he better just, you know, give it everything that he had because he wasn't sure he still had it, even though he had been confident at the one K mark. So uh, we've seen a lot from him lately. Um, he was the Olympic bronze medalist and I think he's also a cross country world champion. Uh, and 
in the cross country race, I mean, I think he's got some of the fastest times that were basically ever recorded, but we just keep seeing these world records, especially in the half marathon fall. I mean, I think it's interesting to note how many times has the half record in both the men's and women's world marathon been broken in the last two or three years. Right. It feels like every time they go to Valencia or Dubai or, you know, Lisbon, anytime they're in these fat flask courses with optimal conditions, um, somebody is stepping up to the plate, basically ready to break the world record. So he's only, how old is he? Is he 21? Something. I mean, he's just, really young. So yeah, yeah pretty crazy. Um, I, I can't imagine like a half marathon and, and we don't need to go too deeply into how far that is, given that Michelle's going to be running one tomorrow and we don't want to get into her head. Um, <laughs> But, but to break the world record in a half marathon by a second, like, I feel like every time I've been close to, to a barrier like that, not like that, because I've never been remotely close to a world record, but every time I'm close to a barrier, I always end up missing it by a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine like crossing the finish line being like, yes, broke it by a second. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's just a gutsy racer. Um, I think this, this is even more impressive just because it was like a solo time trial, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he won by two minutes. Yeah. Crazy far back, <laughs> like yeah. not, not even in sight. So crazy far back, but, but still the, he, he won by two minutes, but the, the remaining top 10 were all under 60 minutes, I believe as well. And so, so yeah, pretty, pretty incredible race on his part. Um, for those of you who, who are following along at home, that's 422 per mile. Um, I thought it was 423, but whatever. So, what is so the difference? 422, 40. It's still far faster than any of the three of us <laughs> could run on a relay. <laughs> True. You know, um, so yeah, just just mind-blowingly fast there um, that, that that he was able to run. Um, all right. So so we definitely wanted to give him the uh, the props he deserved. Let's talk about speaking of mind-blowingly fast. Let's talk about the uh, the NCAA Cross Country Championships uh, th this past weekend. Uh, they were in Tallahassee. Um, have y'all run on that course in Tallahassee? I have. No. Okay. So in Tallahassee, so what's that? Yes, yeah, it's short. No. Um, it's, it is, it's one of the cooler experiences I've ever had, not just running on that course, but just going to it. Cause it is a venue that is literally built for cross country. It's not a park where they put a cross country course. It's not like, like some, you know, a bunch of woods where they just sort of mowed a, a, a path and then have people run over it. They literally created a venue for cross country and it has multiple different pieces that you can, you can stitch together in order to create loops of different lengths all with the same starting line and the same finish line. And then it has, regardless of the loop that you're using, it has timing mats on it. And then it has cameras in various places that will show on the big giant screen that's set up at the finish line. Um, and it's wide open over the top. So you can have helicopter views actually looking down on the race from above, like they do with Tour de France sprint finishes. Um, it's a cool, cool venue. And, and, like even talking about it, and this sounds so weird, I recognize, but even talking about it, having run so many races um, where around tracks that were squeezed into football stadiums um, yeah. or around like, like um, cross country courses that 
that were in parks that had no business having a cross country race in them where we had to take turns every 20 meters because they just sort of said, oh, wait, we have to put on a cross country race. I guess we'll just make those assholes run in this little small space around a parking lot, right? <laughs> to, to actually have this giant space entirely built solely for the purpose of cross country. It's just, it's inspiring. It's cool. Um, and frankly, I feel like that's where they should have the NCAA championships and every other cross country race, uh, championship race every year. Um, it is a great, great space. Um, is, it a, is it a Florida state space or is it just owned by like, is it a national? What is it? I don't, I, I don't totally or? know. I don't totally know. I know that, that, that I think Florida state, it is their home course. I don't sure. know who paid for it. I know that like there's a big Seminole that's on the home stretch, or at least there was oh, when well. I ran it in 2016, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and so, so, but but I know that they've run USATF there. I know that. See, when I ran there, it was the 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 club cross country championships in 2016, which was super cool. Um, and and so um, and then of course they've run NCAA's there a couple of times. Um, but I mean, um, NCAA's just typically rotate like Terraware or Terraware. And then, and then that place in Oklahoma, it's going back to Oklahoma state to, to be in Stillwater again. Um, just like it was back like four at, places. That's so, it. so yeah. Um, and if the, if the other three are as good as a place in Tallahassee, I don't feel like they ever need to go anyplace else, but yeah, it's going back to Stillwater in 2022, which is where it was in 2020, even though remember the 2020 cross country championships were in March sure. of 2021. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to refer to that a few times here over the course of the next few minutes as well. But anyway, so it's a nice course. It was a, it was a great setting and the weather was kind of perfect. It was about 50 degrees. It was like uh, perfect weather for, for running fast on this, this gorgeous, beautiful cross country dedicated course. Um, and the NC state women ended up winning their first ever NCAA cross country championship. Uh, they had their women, their runners finished sixth, 14th, 18th, 20th, um, and 26th. Um, and that was enough to give them a comfortable margin of victory over BYU, who finished second, New Mexico, who finished third, and Colorado, who finished fourth. Um, Eric, Vizunzi, who you've talked about several times, plays for NC State. I had sort of a healthy disdain for NC State when I was uh, at Georgia Tech <laughs> running against them, um, but but it never soured the way that it did for, say, UNC. Um, what did you think about, was was there like a palpable air of excitement around Raleigh and the, uh, the Tri-City area in general when NC State women won their first ever cross-country championship? I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> Just I'm humor talking. me, man. Come on. <laughs> um, Did no. you... <laughs> it's unfortunate no i mean it's just not a it's still not a sport that gets the credit it deserves um i don't even think it came across like i had to find it i don't you know it wasn't even wasn't even a highlight in the news as mm -hmm. far as i as i can recall um, yeah, that's a shame yeah, okay a shame. well hold on a second maybe not for like the greater community at large but for these women that just went out there and rocked this race they got a chartered flight back to state on friday nice. night they got a police escort from the plane back to campus what is on campus that's uh the red tower what is the centennial something it's uh, so it's it's the um, the NC State bell tower on yes, the front. Yes, the, the bell tower yeah, was the bell tower red. Right, yeah. the bell tower was lit up. They got to go in it, which 
I don't, do you get to go in it unless you're like an NCAA champion? <laughs> Some people that are not NCAA, NCAA champions do get to go in there, but you're right. It, NC, to NC State, it was a big deal. But I, I would venture to guess, even as an NC, and this is this is bad. I'm not agreeing with this. But if you were to go down, if I was to go downstairs and say, hey, Vazumzi, did you hear about your women's cross-country team? And keep in mind, he is a participant in the Student Athletic Council. He would probably not be able to tell me much about it. I don't believe you. I think he would know that they just won NCAAs. I'll ask him after the podcast. Please I, I would actually be, I, I'm not going to venture to whether he would know or not. I'm willing to bet that Eric probably knows better, but I would be curious <laughs> whether he actually knows. Um, I'm texting that, now. Uh, well, if, if he doesn't, I, that makes me sad. So let's get back to things that make me happy. So, so they, they had actually, they had actually won. Um, we talked about how they, they're the most successful women's program in ACC women's sporting history. They've won more ACC championships than any other women's sports program in any sport in, in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, and they had 18 points, I think it was, at the uh, the ACC championship this uh, this year, which is a stunningly low score um, for, for a conference championship race. Um, and they went out there and basically just got it done on that day. Um, now, speaking of first, um, Whitney Orton um, ran for who runs for BYU. Um, BYU, uh, they finished second two years ago. Um, they finished uh, first in March, which is the 2020 championships. And then they finished second again as a team here. But they don't tend to have individual champions. She was actually their first ever individual women's champion um, uh, by running 1925. The women's race. Did you watch the replay of the women's race, Michelle? I can't you, even remember. You, you need to watch it with, with, with a kilometer to go. No, I a, think I was. It's incredible. <laughs> with, with, with a kilometer to go, there's 12 women in the race and you, you don't know who's going to win. And the women's race is so short. It's only six kilometers long that, that they're also close. She ran 1925. There were 44 women under 20 minutes. It's crazy. And so in the next 35 seconds after she wins, 43 more women cross the finish line. Um, it's incredible how fast and how packed together um, the women are and the men too, but the women, especially in this particular race. And so watching not only her be able to kind of emerge from this big pack over the course of the last hill and then going towards the long straightaway into the finish, um, not only was that incredible, but just watching all of these brilliant women uh, streaming across the finish line, um, not far behind her at all. Um, but hardly talked about, of course, because they're finishing in the 30s and the 40s, um, was just an amazing, amazing thing to actually see. Um, now, she actually ignited a little bit of Twitter controversy. Did you see that, Michelle? Just because of her year in school? No. Well, okay, she's 24 years old. Um, so she and, spoiler alert, Connor Mance, actually from BYU, won the men's. So BYU 24. actually had both of the, uh, the individual championships. Um, they're both they're 24 years old. They're 27 years seniors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're both 24 years old, which is always something that's annoying about the NCAA. In particular, the NAIA is even worse. But, um, but, but yeah. Um, but no, afterwards, she said something to the effect of um, she was being interviewed. She said, she said, if you're a runner, why would you go anywhere that's not BYU? Um, and, and, <laughs> and, and so there were several people that 
that are non-runners or that are runners, but 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 think about BYU in terms that are not running that said, well, here's a few reasons why you might not want to go to BYU. <laughs> I mean, she's a pretty devout Mormon. I think it makes sense if you are, you know, one of the best runners in the country and you're Mormon and you want to take a year or two off and do a mission and you still want to run in the NCAA. Um, I mean, I, I don't know why you would go anywhere else if that was you know, who you were, but that if that's not specific. who you are, what? <laughs> so that feels a little bit specific. Right. So, um, no, I mean, I do think we, there are members of the BYU cross country track and field that are not of the Mormon faith, but yeah, I think, uh, I'm surprised you said that. The, the, I can the, see why the, that would probably not go over very well. The, the nature of the controversy or the nature of the, the, the disagreement and the criticism that, that, that some people level towards her and towards BYU more generally. Um, and I was thinking about this yesterday as I was running, is that, that most colleges and universities, not all certainly, but most colleges and universities, including the college where I teach, um, have statements, very strong statements about inclusion and diversity and safe spaces and diverse voices and things like that. Um, and then there's a smaller group of colleges that are kind of the opposite, um, that, that have very narrow ideas about, um, about what is proper and what is right and things like that. And BYU fits into that latter group. Um, and so a lot of people said, maybe the reason why you wouldn't want to go to BYU is because you believe in diversity and you know, inclusiveness and, <laughs> and uh, trans rights and, and things like that. And, yeah. and so, um, and so, so there, there, was, there was some conversation around that that I thought was interesting. But anyway, getting back to that, kudos, though, nonetheless, despite the fact that she was criticized a little bit on Twitter there, Whitney Wharton ran a brilliant race um, and she deserves all the kudos she, uh, she can possibly get for, for running so brilliantly there. Um, uh, New Mexico was third. I thought this was actually worth mentioning. New Mexico was third, the women's race. Um, they've been in the top 10, 12 straight times. Um, and in half of those, they finished in the top 10 and then Colorado was fourth and they've been in the top 10 for nine years in a row, um, including finishing in the top four, four times. Um, so some incredible consistency there. Um, Let's talk about the men and then we'll talk about some big takeaways and crunching the numbers. We're going to borrow some number crunching from let's run.com. But um, mm -hmm. the men were won by Northern Arizona. Go well, figure. <laughs> five times out of the last six years, they've won. That's amazing. I mean, Mike Smith sort of has built a dynasty. For sure. Um, for sure. There's only two other teams um, that have ever had that sort of, of dominance. They've won five times in six years. Mark Butler. Um, um, so and he's not one of them. He only has like no. one. Um, and so, so there's only a handful of teams that have even won five championships period. Um, and they've won five in the past six years. The, the boys from Flagstaff have. Um, and so, yeah, just incredible. Um, it's really hard to try and get everybody together to all run that fast on a single day. And to be able to do that five times in six years is, is a pretty amazing thing there. Um, their guys finished sixth place, ninth place, 11th place, 32nd place, and 34th place. Um, second place was oh, Iowa State, third place was Oklahoma State, and fourth place was Stanford. Um, as I mentioned, the, the winner was from BYU. The men's and women's individual winners were both from BYU. Um, the men's was the same guy who won in March in the 2020 cross-country championship, Connor Metz, uh, who we've talked about before. 
Uh, he ran 28.33, which was actually a course record on this super fast uh, course and this this super great course in Tallahassee. Um, and he became only the third American ever to repeat as a cross-country champion, along with Steve Prefontaine and Bob Kennedy. That is pretty good company. He's <laughs> yep, brilliant. I mean, yeah. he's fantastic to watch. I just... Yeah, yeah. Um, his race was much different. So, so he it was it was a super fast race from the very start um he and and the lead pack all went out the first mile in 422 um and then he eventually uh through his work and other people's work the the front pack got whittled down to just him and two other guys um and they were battling out over the course of the last kilometer and he ran his last kilometer and i want to say like 241 or something like that which is just incredibly fast that's about four it's under 420 pace um and uh and and was able to finish strong and and outkick the other two guys and 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 win in course record fashion um before that day the course record had been 2852 um and so he broke the course record by 20 seconds and the former course record holder was a guy named shadrach kipcher um he set that record in 2018 on this course kipcher is a 2707 10k runner 2707 10k runner and connor metz beat the course record by 20 seconds the course record of a 2707 guy um goes oh. to show how fast it was what was his time again george 2833 yeah amazing amazing i feel like most of the replay on this didn't show uh the amazing run by connor it just showed cooper tear <laughs> you know crawling to the finish line yeah yeah but Cooper Tier, who we've talked about on this podcast before who's a great runner yeah ended up finishing fourth to last basically but got passed by the entire field on the last kilometer when did he at first go down like when did he first he was still he was I still mean, in the top 50 with a half mile to go with under a kilometer to go he was still in the top 50 in the race and then he just basically collapsed. He, he fell apart and collapsed multiple times over oh, the course I, yeah. of the last half mile and ended up finishing fourth to last. Um, and on several occasions there in the last 400 meters had to actually crawl. Yeah, that's pretty uh, much all I saw. <laughs> yeah, that got a lot of attention. Um, and he probably picked up a few a uh, few followers. But no, NCAA 5K champion from Oregon, Cooper Tier, who's a great runner. Clearly, he's brilliant. But something was wrong that day. Um, also, was he a runner-up in the trials? Did he come so, in fourth place? Um, in the trials? I mean, yeah. yeah he came. Yeah, he, he, he didn't make the Olympic team. No, but he came close. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to see more of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like him. He's a gorgeous runner, too. Um, so I like, I like, like, just aesthetically, I like watching him run. Wasn't so gorgeous the other day as he was crawling to the finish line, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. Um, let's see. Um you know, I just wanted to mention something. So I, I went and Google Earth at Appalachia Regional Park, which is where they did this. Mm -hmm. That's in Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It's pretty amazing. It, I mean, it has a whole, you know, acre or more dedicated to the the, the funnel start. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and you can see it on the Google Earth, uh, pic, you know, the, the satellite pictures mm -hmm. of this big, funnel and you're mm -hmm. looking at it, i was like what is that and as i thought about it for a while i'm like oh that is the start to the race funneling right. down to the you know the front exactly. runners coming through there so that was that was the first thing I, this is an amazing park 
Um, and then this reminded me, you know, of, of purpose-built parks. Did you ever in high school run the Vanderbilt Invitational? George? Vanderbilt? No. Vanderbilt. So mm-hmm. we, we went to this um, one year with my high school team, and this was a horse course. It was it was made for cross-country horse racing or something. It was all <laughs> open to the sun. It was the hottest course I've ever been on. And when you guys started talking there for a minute, it reminded me of this because at the end of the uh, JV race, I remember watching this guy on our team. His name was Denny. And Denny ran the last uh, probably 300 meters diagonally to the course and didn't actually get to the finish line because he was so overheated because he ran the whole race in the sun, the blazing sun. Hmm. And he had run so hard. He never made it to the finish line. He veered off the course and literally just like collapsed through those cheap flags they used to put along the edge of the course. Mm -hmm. And we had to like pack him in ice to to drop his body temperature. So this park looks a whole lot better than that. Uh, (laughs) Nice. Um, I think this is a good thing for our athletes. And then the third and final point of this, we were so impressed about this performance of this athlete. You know, he sets the record. It's an average of four thirty-five miles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How fast did Kiplima run the half marathon? Right, four twenty-three <laughs> miles. Let's just put something into yeah. perspective here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, incredible. <laughs> Amazing. Not Amazing. to detract from the NCAA champion. That is that is phenomenal. It's mm-hmm. it's not on a hard pack. You know, it's it's it's. But just the, the speed that Kiplima was running for that half marathon world record is insane. For sure. For sure. I totally agree with you on all of those things. Yeah. If you think of, if you think of like, okay, what is a quintessential cross country course look like? So it has like the big open start with a big open field, then it kind of funnels down, you go through the trees and then, you know, you run up and down and all that sort of thing. And then it finishes with a hill and then a flat finish. That's kind of exactly what this does. Um, and they built it that way. It's purpose built, like you said, um, which I think is cool. Um, I let's the, the folks over at let's run.com and, and, um, there are many reasons not to be a fan of let's runs.com. Um, uh, and, and there's, uh, in no universe will I ever recommend that anybody goes on the message boards on, on let's run.com. Um, but, uh, but they do often do some pretty good number crunching and, and, uh, um, statistics analysis on uh, that website. And they did that uh, with the NCAA cross country meet. And so let's borrow some of the things that they did uh, and and just kind of mention those real quickly. Um, First of all, they compared, they did a lot of comparison of March, 2021 to November, 2021. Um, Since they had this, you know, odd COVID cross country championship in the spring, um, it gave them the opportunity to compare two of the highest level NCAA cross country meets only six months apart. Um, and so they did that. And, and what they found is that first they looked at, at how many people actually did both of them. And they found that 110 women did both NCAA meets. Um, and in the men's 112 men finished both of the races, right? Um, but one of the things they found is that both the men and the women who did both of them tended to do worse this time than they did back in March. They actually ran farther, they placed farther down than they did back in March. Um, 56% of the women 
uh, finished farther down or farther back in the field, whereas 42% of the women finished in a better spot. Um, and then one woman actually finished in the exact same spot. Um, for the men, 55% of them finished in a lower position, 42 of them finished in a higher position, and two of them actually finished the exact same place than they had. Um, and so I think the takeaway there is it just goes to show how difficult it is to actually perform so well at the NCAA level, right? To, to You would presume, oh, everybody's just going to get better. And if you finish 30th this year, that means you're going to finish 20th next year and stuff like that. And that's just not how it works. Not only because improvement is not linear like that, but also because the NCAA cross-country meet is such a difficult meet and it's so competitive um, that they, they literally, if you combine everybody together, 507 people started the March NCAA championships, 100 of two of them, just 102 people, 20.1% of them finished better in the November championships than, than finished in the, in the March championships. Um, just to show, goes to show how incredible it is that NAU has been able to actually win this race five times out of the last six years. Um, another kind of interesting thing in comparing the two, um, 42 men's and women's teams ran at both meets. So I think it was 22 women's teams and 20 men's teams. Um, of those, not a single one of those 42 teams ran the same seven athletes. All of the athletes still had eligibility, mind you. Not a single one of them ran the same athletes. Not a single one out of 42 teams. The average was 4.6 or 4.5 of the same athletes. So they didn't even run like almost the same, like only one athlete difference. Like most of them had two to three athletes different um, between the teams they ran only six months ago than they did now, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, another kind of interesting thing, um, just about this meet, not comparing it back to March, um, is that both NC State and Northern Arizona had really big drop-offs between their number five and number six spots, such that if you took out any scoring member of their top five, they wouldn't have won. Wow. Um, they had very little margin for error, right? Um, as both of you know, of course, and as I imagine most of our listeners know, you score in a cross-country meet by looking at the finishing places of your top five finishers. If you had taken out any of their people, um, any of the people that, that were scoring position for NAU or for NC State, um, they would have actually lost. Um, Iowa State would have beaten NAU um, and, and Brigham Young would have beaten NC State. Um, so pretty incredible there. Um, before last weekend, before the read, uh, the last women's NCAA championship or champ that would have lost if you had removed their number five runner was Oregon in 2016. And on the men's side, you'd have to go back to Syracuse in 2015 to find the last team that would have lost without their number five person. Um, and so it's, it's pretty rare that it actually happens, but it happened on both sides um, here in 2021. Um, two other quick things. One, there were 18 athletes because of the way that COVID worked with, uh, with, with, uh, and, and moved forward the NCAA championship championships and the way that they changed the eligibility rules. It meant that people could actually run the NCAA cross country championships five times. And there were 18 athletes that ran it five times. Um, so first time in history, you've had anybody run it five times and you had 18 athletes do it. Um, nine men and nine women, um, there was a guy from Arkansas named Amon Kimboy was the first person ever to earn five All-American finishes 
um, at the NCAA cross country championships. He finished 12th this year um, and he was all American and cross country five times. First time that's ever been possible and the first time person ever to do it. Um, and then likewise, there were four athletes who had never been all Americans before, even though they competed four times before that now on their fifth time competing in the NCAA championships, they became all Americans. Um, and so had they only been limited to four cross country championships, like you normally would be without COVID changes, uh, they would not have ever become all Americans. So that's pretty cool too. So let me, um, let me ask a quick question on that because yeah. I, I don't follow the rule changes and I, mm -hmm. is this a one-time event? Mm -hmm. So he will be the only person. No, it's mm -hmm. anybody who competed in this year and does four, they could do four more. What, what, right. what it was is that the- They didn't lose eligibility for the 2020. Yeah. They didn't have to yeah. use the year of eligibility for 2020. Okay. For cross country okay. in 2020. So right. if, they, if you ran in the 2020 season, you could do this also. Yeah. You could, yeah. Have, run, you could have run NCAAs for 2020, which was in March, 2021. And it did mm -hmm. not take a year of cross country eligibility. For exactly. example- Connor Metz was technically a seventh year senior. He did two years of a mission, then went to BYU and a fifth year senior. Mm -hmm. So they call him, he's 24 years old. He's a seventh year senior. That's what they're calling him. But yeah, you're not going to, we're going to see a lot of the same people. I mean, anybody who's been in school, some of these teams are going to have a bunch of people that we saw, you know, in March 2021 and that season of cross country, they got under their belt, but it doesn't go against their eligibility. So it's going to be cool to kind of cycle through this and see mm -hmm. how many times. Yeah. So according to NCAA rules, normally you only get four chances to run cross country. You only get four cross country seasons. You can redshirt a season. And so you can do those four seasons over five years. Um, and that's the same with football, same with basketball, same with track, indoor track, outdoor track, et cetera. Um, but they basically, like Michelle just explained very well, um, they said, hey, if you ran in the 2020 cross country season, using air quotes there, because it wasn't actually in 2020, <laughs> if you ran in the 2020 cross country season, we're not going to count it. And so you can actually have five seasons of cross country. Um, and so, so without it's another possible pandemic, to, to, to go to the NCAA championships five times. Yeah, and without another pandemic, this is a contained right. event to those athletes that participated in that. Scene. Right, right. And so, the, so there was also Connor Connor Mance winning the NCAA cross country championship twice in the same year. <laughs> he became he became the only again. person ever to do that, and barring anything catastrophic and unforeseen, will be the only person ever to do that. Like a global pandemic, right? <laughs> Right. So, so, so maybe in another hundred years, if there's another global pandemic, it will oh. happen again. Um, or if we, but, even if we just treat somebody else will podcast pandemic. about that. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Yeah. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. All right. And finally, the last thing to say about the NCAA cross country championships, because, and like I said, I did want to talk about this as, as an alumnus of ACC cross country um, uh, and as a proud alumnus of that. Um, if, if you look at the conferences that qualified teams um, and you try and figure out who the best conference was or who did best in the conference, um, well, the men had more qualifiers uh, from the ACC than in any other conference. Um, 
They didn't have any teams, though, finish in the top eight. Uh, the ACC's top men's finishing team was actually Notre Dame, who finished ninth. Um, and then Wake Forest, I want to say, finished like 11th or 12th or something like that as well. Um, so, so they actually finished very well. Um, the Pac-12 had three teams in the top 15. Um, the Big Ten had uh, just one team in the top 20. The Big 12 had Iowa State and Oklahoma State that went two and three. And so, so they obviously did pretty well as well. Um, but if you were to take like the ACC's top runner and then the ACC's second runner and the ACC's third runner, and so if you score like the ACC as if they're a team and then you score the Big Sky Conference as if they're a team and the Pac-12 as if they're a team and all that sort of thing, the ACC would have won the meet with 83 points ahead of the nice. Big Sky, Pac-12, Big 12, ACC um, the whack, et cetera. Um, and so, so pretty impressive there to see that from the men's side, the women's side, clearly the ACC was the best conference in cross country this year. Um, which is kind of cool to see. Um, not only did they have five qualifying teams, um, but they of course had the national champions in NCSU. Um, and then they had two of the top five teams in the country. If you were to score it, um, like a cross country meet using the first ACC finisher, the second ACC finisher, et cetera, the ACC would have won with only 63 points, um, about 20 points ahead of the SEC, which is second, then the Big 12, the Pac-12, the Big 10, uh, the WCC, and then the Mountain West. And so um, good year for ACC cross country for sure. And just um, a, as, a, as a point on the women's um, ACC that score of 63, I just looked at your notes, that score of 63 was to an 81 from the SEC as second yeah. place. Yeah. Whereas on the men's side, it was ACC 83 points, Big Sky 84 points. Right. So the, the differential there with the ACC yeah. women is pretty darn high. Yeah. The ACC women were clearly the class of the field this year. Um, and good for them, man. Um, you know, the, the, the coach at uh, NC state, Laurie Hennis, she's been the coach at NC state for 30 years and has never won any NCAA championship. That's her first one. And she's an NCAA, uh, an NC state alumnus herself. Um, and I think was an individual national champion back in the day. And so pretty but cool. It wasn't NCAA. So, so she's what's that? A coach. She's been a coach. She's been Not a coach. coach. Okay. You're right. Yeah. She's been a coach. You're right. Raleigh Geiger was their coach when I was there. Yeah. You're right. Um, and so very good. Very good. Um, and worth mentioning too, both women's teams, uh, both the top two women's teams are both coached by women. Um, and so you had Laurie Hennis coaching uh, at, at NC state and you had another uh, female head coach uh, was the uh, coach at BYU. So that's pretty cool to see as well. Um, I stand corrected. The did reply to my message saying, yeah, I've known that for about a week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I give him credit for, for knowing what's going on. Uh, so both he and I and Raleigh know this happened, as well as the rest of the team. Uh, it just wasn't big. It wasn't as big news as it should be. Let's just put it awesome. Vazunzi has has uh, restored my faith in humanity. So glad to hear it. Uh, and you can tell him I said that. Um, well, I just I cannot imagine anybody being part of the NC State athletic department and being a student athlete there and not knowing that cross country just won a national championship. I can guarantee there's some football players who have no clue, <laughs> That's but, fair. but, but here I am revealing my prejudice against, against college football players. Yeah, um, and on that, that note, we should probably wrap it up here. Um, yeah. Have y'all been reading the book? Have you finished the book, Michelle? I have. So was it good? Did it finish well? Yeah, it's great. It's uh, I just, you know, he made the cover of the wall street journal this weekend. Um, All right. So I just, Brad Silver again. What? 
Brad Stolberg did? Yeah, just okay. five principles from the book. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just finding all sorts of stuff in life that like it could all just apply to. So very good. It feels good to kind of just have a, a framework mm -hmm. um, for this type of stuff and be able to see, you know, kind of hear him or read, see the words on the page or kind of just hear his voice uh, just with small things and daily life that we just don't have total control over that are just kind of part of our lives. And it's like, just accept it for what it is. It's might seem bad, but it's probably not as bad as it could be. Mm -hmm. uh, and then try to go on. Um, I've been kind of doing a lot of that lately. So cool. find it helpful, but. You know, one of the things that it's, so I'm, I'm still in the process of reading it right now. Um, one of the things that it, in, it inspired me to do is to go back and, and read some of the work of Marcus Aurelius um the roman emperor um and i mean stoicism like yeah. this is this is his stuff is rooted in this stuff right I mean, exactly yeah no and and so at least in the first third of the book he talks about seneca and he talks about marcus aurelius a lot um and and i read i've never read a lot of seneca but i read a lot of marcus aurelius when i was an undergrad um and so i i tried to go back and find the exact same books i had read when i was at georgia tech and i couldn't find them um and so i ended up ordering a, a new copy of meditations by marcus aurelius and and just kind of getting to go back to that and, and re-engage in some of that thinking um but i think that that just as he describes it i'm recalling the various things that i wrote and journaled about and wrote papers on back as a senior international affairs major about stoicism and about all of these sorts of things. And so um, I'm reminded of that and look forward to kind of re-engaging a lot of those things. Um, Eric, have you been reading it? Uh, no, I'm, I'm currently finishing <laughs> up another book and I haven't even cracked it, but I, I do, I do remember a lot of the reading that I did in college too. Cause you know, we were in, we were at Georgia Tech at the same time and um, absolutely nothing that I read in college had anything to do with any of this. Um, yeah. Because I was yeah. an engineering major. Yeah, I was gonna say, mechanical <laughs> engineering versus international affairs in a nutshell. There you go. But, but I did, uh, Michelle, I'm really glad you pointed out this is in the wall street journal. Cause I just pulled it up, you know, five principles for a better post pandemic you. Yeah. I read Stolberg and it's a, it's a lengthy article. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start there. I, I mean, a lot of it is verbatim from the book, but you know, he's talking through it. So you have a uh, Wall Street Journal subscription. I do. Well, can you send that to me? Book <laughs> a podcast up. <laughs> um, all right. So the book, if you need a reminder by Brad Stolberg is the practice of groundedness, a transformative path to success that feeds, not crushes your soul. So it is, I will say while we're talking about it, it is a little bit self-helpy feeling. Sure. That, that that's my only complaint about it so far. And I don't know that that's a legitimate complaint, honestly. Um, but, but it does kind of have that feel to it sometimes. Um, and so we'll see whether that feeling fades over time for me once I get a little bit deeper into the book. But like I said, it did inspire me to, to go back and dig out um, a book that had a pretty serious impact on me 25 years ago. And so um, I look forward to continuing. Very you need good. to sign up for the daily stoic email, George. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, Eric, thanks for being with us, man. Did you want to know my final thought? I would love to know your final thought. <laughs> so <laughs> in, order, in order to force this discussion on our next podcast, I'm going to give everybody a, a heads up. We are going to talk about trail shoes and trail awesome. shoe technology in the next podcast. Awesome. So if, if you are looking at tra trail running, if you are wondering 
what uh, trail trail running shoes are all about, what the differences between differences between those and road shoes are, and maybe why, and maybe get some color commentary on the shoes we like and don't like. Maybe so listen to our next podcast. Very listen good. To our next podcast. Good last thought. Good last thought and good plug for the next podcast. Very good, Michelle. What's your final thought? Um, hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. Hope your turkey is as good as my mom. So <laughs> perfect. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Appreciate y'all being here. Love it, Jordan. And I'm Michelle. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx, and Instagram, here for Slay RX, the number four Slay RX. Discount code Pleasant21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.